Well, welcome back to the Digital Bike Show here on Cyber.fm. And this week, delighted to be joined by Matthew Jackson from Free Market. And, and Matthew, this is the first time you've been on the show, but you've written an article or with your colleagues, the role and opportunity for stable coins in traditional cross-border payments. Flipping egg is like an essay, not a title, but really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> now, Jenny, I, I'm interested because we're seeing so much commentary about this. So it'd be, be great to get your thoughts and views. But before we get into sort of cross-border payments and stable coins, can you just give a bit of background to yourself and, and a little bit of information about free market? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, so as, as you mentioned, I'm Matt Jackson. I head up the relationship management team at free market. So me and my team look after all of our existing clients. Free market started probably about 15 years ago as an FX matching platform and actually then developed. Oh, hang on, hang on, Matthew. What do you mean by FX matching? Is that some sort of dateline thing or something? I mean, back then it was probably could be compared to that. So that would have been where a company wants to sell a certain amount of currency. The rates may be not favorable to them into the market, but there might be someone else and another customer of ours that wanted to buy that amount of currency. And you, and you bring the two companies together to, to try and get better rates. And really that came about because SMEs were really poorly served in that market. It took them a lot, a long time to access those services. And because they were small, they didn't get a great service from the institutional banks. So companies like Free Market sprung up to, to fill that void. And that's where we see really great traction to this day in serving underserved verticals and customers with not just FX matching now, but payments accounts and cross-border payments and FX. And, and that's really where we've suddenly become quite interested in the role that DLT can play in those cross-border payments. But specifically, we're seeing really big traction with stable coins. Okay, so Matthew, what, what small, medium-sized businesses, SMEs, what sort of volumes of payments are these companies sort of international exporters and doing tens of thousands a day or no these are these are low numbers of transactions typically but actually some of them can be quite high value so i i always think the bar for an sme gets um bigger every year so actually i think the stat is around 90 percent of companies in the uk are classes smes Absolutely. and that probably tells you that the definition isn't really correct because if if 90 percent of them are that size then maybe that's just the size of of businesses that's probably more of a personal opinion but they stay because they have relatively simple needs in terms of their banking they want to receive payments they may want to remit some funds cross-border and they want to pay their suppliers and their staff they're not looking to invest huge sums of money. Maybe they're not taking big loans. They're not really well served by institutional banks who want to who want to play in that space where they can run investment portfolios and, and cross-sell other services like insurance and things like that. Okay. So the, these are sort of small businesses may employ, you know, half a dozen or a dozen people and they maybe want to what send what, five, ten thousand pounds? No, no. And and actually that half a dozen people, some of these are two hundred and fifty people companies. And you know, they may be sending typical value for us is probably somewhere between two hundred and fifty thousand and five hundred thousand. But you know, we we've processed transactions in the tens of millions as well wow. over the past eighteen months. Well, wow. and you're able to undercut some of the sort of bigger banks and things, even those volumes of transactions. Well, I'm not sure we compete too much on price. Actually, we've surveyed our customers quite a lot over the past two years. And what we have found is there's been a bit of a, 
um, maturity in the way they're they're considering why they do business with free market. So service is, is the number one. We hear all of the time our customers enjoy the service. We make a big effort, white glove transaction through to to spend time in understanding their business. And previously they were saying we were competitive on price. But over the past six months that's really matured into uh, we think you're good value. So we may not be the cheapest and we certainly don't want to compete on price, but we do put a lot of effort into understanding businesses and making sure that we can serve them really well. And, and people are willing to pay, you know, not vast sums more, but they recognize the value in that and are happy to pay our prices. Brilliant. Right. And obviously you're, you're doing a personalized service rather than just a sort of a, a phone center or something like that. Is, yeah. And this is something, want? you know, is really the heart of what I do. It's, it's my passion. So I look after, uh, the team that manages our customer relationships and we you know put a huge amount of effort into going and seeing these people face to face the anecdote i always use is we um traveled to sydney to see one of our customers and she said your competitor is and and the relationship manager for your competitor is two blocks away in sydney and i've never met him face to face and we traveled halfway around the world to to go and see her for a two-hour meeting and, and and have lunch with her Gosh, you must be keen on your surfing to get to Bondi Beach all that way then. I cannot tell you how <laughs> disappointing my Australia trip was. So I was there for four days and I'd, I'd never been before. And in my head, I had neighbours and home and away and surfing. And, and, sun, and, surfing. and it was miserable, miserable weather. And uh, <laughs> I was insanely jet lagged. But, you know, I hope to go back and maybe, maybe get onto Bondi for some surfing. Well, brilliant. Well, look, I'm going to have to drag you back to your article because... Stable coins, can you give us a bit of a background, a bit of an oversight? What are they and, and why, why are they creeping into the traditional world of, of cross-border payments then? So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. I think the whys are uh, probably less about the stable coins themselves and more about the problems in the, in the cross-border payments market now. So mm-hmm. it's dominated by SWIFT, which is uh, this fantastic messaging system that the banks use and it basically sits atop the correspondent banking network. But it is plagued by problems in that payments can take a long time. Where they are in that chain of correspondent banks is sometimes not very clear. Banks aren't obliged to process payments as quickly as possible. And if you think in a in a payment that goes around the world that could pass through three, four, five correspondent banks, that's three, four, five compliance teams that might be asking the same questions and trying to get the same amount of information and a payment that um, could take three to five days, say. Now, in the stablecoin environment, um, somebody somebody I was talking to told me that can happen in seven seconds. And so all of those problems around transparency, speed, and and sometimes even cost go away. But, you know, we then get back into value. If if somebody was sending payments that would take five days and they can send them in seven seconds, perhaps they're more inclined to pay a little bit more for that transaction because they can get access to their cash and manage their liquidity a lot quicker. They're paying their suppliers. And so those relationships are are much happier. And so the underlying technology, I think, is less important than the end result, which is uh, speed, which is transparency and which could be cost or, or value. Okay, you mentioned in your article that stablecoins can also be issued by not not just sort of regulated banks and non banks, but also mm. government central bank digital currencies. Yeah, and I think there's an important differentiation there. Is at the moment in the cross border payment space, we're seeing stablecoins gaining loads of traction because private markets have been able to move to implementation a lot quicker. 
obviously your central banks are going to take more time and be more measured and and so they're in development now one of the problems that we might have with central bank digital currencies is that they are by very nature generated by central banks which may or may not decide to work together so there are some really good use cases cropping up where countries are talking to each other about developing some uniform standards but that is still very early in the stages of development whereas stable coins are now live and being used in the market quite extensively in a lot of cases now okay and as you say in your article you talk about settlement of using traditional sort of cross-border payments can date three to five days but mm. you use this word but with with digit a digital currency a stable coin would be atomic yeah yeah and you're far too young to remember blondie and i remember blondie song. i saw blondie <laughs> you saw blondie oh well yeah atomic the song but what, what do you mean by atomic yeah honestly i think that's more of a, a marketing statement but doesn't <laughs> sound great but atomic you know words like instant could be used and and right. there's always you know a an amount of leeway when you hear words like atomic and instant but when the market norm is three to five days and you're measuring the time for a payment to happen in seconds it really gives you a sense of the difference of scale and and what this technology can unlock okay and, and to be fair i know you didn't cover it in your article but i'm interested you've obviously written the article presumably you're beginning are you talking to clients about this or are clients coming to you and saying is this something we could do is this something we would like to look at or is it yeah. it's it's both actually and and as with all emergent technology, you, you sometimes wish you were at the party a little bit earlier, but it's definitely something we're talking to. So free markets model is hinged on partnerships. Mm -hmm. So we are effectively a tech layer across a number of banks and non-bank financial institutions beneath us. And we help our customers gain access to their products and services, um, but also provide that key resiliency. So we've got some really great partners on our back end. Um, and also that we serve as customers and we are introducing to each other to facilitate these payments for them. So yeah, it is something we're talking to has been definitely a push and a pull. We understand this is where the market's going, but also our customers are tugging at our coat sleeves and saying, you know, could we get access to this through you? Is this something you're thinking about? Okay. So when you're talking about customers, you're talking about, you know, it could be a company, two, 300 people. That's a customer for you. That's a company. And some of your partners yes, might yeah. be a bank or a fintech company or a stablecoin provider who's saying, look, we can actually speed up or we can sometimes make it a little bit cheaper and faster to provide cross-border payments. Because we're, we're talking about a lot of money here, aren't we, potentially, in, in terms of the global scale. I was at a conference last week and they were talking B2B transfers about $35 trillion a year. So it's a yeah. lot of money. And, you know, if that number was $3 trillion, it would still be impressive, right? I don't think once you get to that scale, there's any form of accuracy, but the fact there's a T involved tells yeah. you just the scale of, of this market. And as we mentioned, you know, 90% or, or whatever the actual percentage is of B2B payments or B2B, com sorry, SME companies, you know, if it's anywhere near above, you know, 60, 70, 80%, you, that would take the lion's share of that that trillion number, whatever that is. So, yeah, an absolutely huge market and, and one we're really excited to serve. And and interesting, as we become more digitized, we, we have the spectre of things like the metaverse, which people are saying could well be bigger than the than the Japanese economy. Sort of, you know, you've got figures out from people like Citibank saying it could be as much mm. as 18 trillion a year. 
Well, that, they're not going to go back to do using sort of postal orders and checks, are they? They're going to want no. an instant digital type selection, which is what you're really talking about here. Sort of that's where stable coins are going to be used for these cross-border payments. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things I talk about in the article, and I think it's important to acknowledge, is that really at the moment, without the robust legislation in this space, there are risks around stable coins. So it's unclear with some of the most commonly used stable coins how much of their value is actually pegged in cash or cash-like assets to a, a fiat currency. So really, for me, you would manage that risk by using them more as the medium of exchange than storing the value. So, you know, there's been examples of stable coins losing their peg, but if you were just using them for the cross-border payment and then remitting back into another asset, fiat currency or, or whatever, you've, you've used them for their utility, that, that medium of exchange, and you're storing the value elsewhere, where, wherever you choose to do that. And I think that's important to recognize that until the legislation comes in and, and there's maybe some more transparency around uh, the reality of, of the pegging of some of these stable coins, the real use cases in that medium of exchange okay and and as you say you've you very helpfully done a list of pros and cons i'm not going to go into them all but you, you've actually listed out a number of pros and cons of if, if like using them as a medium of exchange the mm. mechanisms which as, as you say it's not everything's always one-sided there's always two sides to every argument matt if anyone wants to get hold of yourself or a copy of the article what's the best way of doing it through, through linkedin yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Free Market on LinkedIn. I sort of missed the boat on Twitter, and I think it might be the wrong time to get on that particular boat. But yeah, grab me on LinkedIn or matthew.jackson at wearefreemarket.com. Fantastic. And obviously, if you'd like to get a copy, you can just go onto the Team Blockchain website, and there's a link through to Digital Bytes, and there's a copy you can download there. But Matthew, really, really interesting to hear your views. What, what's interesting is that with respect to traditional business, and you know we call tradfi getting involved very much in sort of the new the decentralized finance world and we're seeing demand from real customers this isn't just speculation this is people realizing there's a more efficient way and efficient tool so thanks for explaining that and bringing that to our attention Matthew. yeah we'll no get, worries we'll get you back on back on the show in hopefully for the end of the year yeah thanks so much johnny i really think the future is is some sort of mixture and giving customers choice but this will play a very, very significant role in, in that future. Yeah. Matthew, I think it's a, re sorry, that's, that's a really important point. A lot of people think it's all or nothing. You know, I don't think anyone that I have certainly spoken to over the last four or five years are saying cash is going 100%. I don't, you no. know, I know people have tried to get rid of checks in different jurisdictions, but I think very much digital payments, digital currencies is about having choice. And there will always be a space for some of the work that the banks and people like that provide and, and, and cash as a whole. But if you can do things more efficiently, then it's kind of why wouldn't you as much as anything else? Yeah. And I think the reason that this has come up as an option is because those big institutions are slow to introduce and adopt new technology for a number of really good reasons. <clears throat> but it would make no sense to me if Swift weren't developing their own answer utilizing this technology and if you've then got swift using some form of dlt technology and and uh, talking about settling payments in seconds rather than days there's there's a whole heap of choice for the market matthew you're spot on you know swift put out a statement in november last year saying 
we can handle any central bank digital currency and any other digital asset. So even, you know, SWIFT, which is, they say, that the sort of infrastructure, the bedrock behind financial payments or messaging, at least, between the banks. This isn't something quirky that some sort of funny sort of, um, you know, iffy fintech is doing. There's, there's a huge amount of interest from banks governments all over the world with this so very, very relevant but uh, but thank you we'll hopefully catch up with you later on in the year thank you thanks thanks so much for having me